<laughs> All right. Well, I'm back here again with the Ontario president of the International Dyslexia Association on Pedagogy Non Grata. And um, I, sh I should say her name, shouldn't I? Uh, you can see I'm a little out of practice. I did do an episode this week. Uh, I'm joined here by Alicia Smith, who is the president of the Ontario International Dyslexia Association branch. Um, do you want to introduce yourself uh, to our audience before I butcher this anymore, Alicia? <laughs> sure. Uh, so as you said, I'm Alicia Smith, and I'm the president of the uh, International Dyslexia Association Ontario branch. Uh, IDA Ontario is a charity, and we offer information and support to individuals with dyslexia, as well as their families and the teachers and other professionals who support them. And we have a real focus on teacher training and advocating for evidence-based uh, literacy instruction, assessment, and intervention in the public school system for all children. So um, what, what was your background before being in the uh, International Dyslexia Association, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, nothing to do with education, actually. <laughs> I came to this role because I am a parent of a child with dyslexia. Uh, I was identified with dyslexia myself when I was in high school, uh, but my professional development uh, or my professional background was in web development, actually. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm just going to be honest with our audience here. I'm really excited to have you back on the podcast, um, both because um, the topic we're talking about here today is incredibly interesting to me. Um, and that's just selfish, obviously, but uh, also because I think you're um, incredibly well informed. Uh, I get to the, the pleasure of having like, some very famous people on this podcast, much more um, intellectually uh, capable than myself, such as, you know, John Hattie and Dylan William. Um, but you are uh, just as informed as anyone else I've ever had on this podcast, but you're not actually like from education. Um, that's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Like your backstory in itself, I think is really interesting and impressive to be honest. But, um, so we're, we're talking about the OHRC inquiry. Um, can you refresh our audience's mind about what that is? Yes, absolutely. So in 2019, the Ontario Human Rights Commission launched a public inquiry looking at issues um, surrounding the way that children with reading disabilities, dyslexia and other learning disabilities are being educated in the Ontario public education system. Uh, so they're looking at uh, curriculum and general classroom instruction teacher training. Uh, they're also looking at um, screening, whether there's early screening happening using effective screening tools. And then they're looking at intervention, who gets intervention, what the intervention is, when the intervention is happening, and if the intervention is um, sufficient. Um, in addition to that, they are looking at um, the effective use of accommodations and the use and timing of psychoeducational assessments. So have, have there been any new developments in this um, issue? I mean, we, you came on our, our podcast before and discussed this, but um, I, it's my understanding that there's some exciting new things happening here. Yes. So, well, the last time I was here, I think I was, I was very excited thinking that the findings would be coming out in the fall uh, that of, of uh, 2021 was just passed. That was what we were expecting. Unfortunately, the findings were delayed again. They're now expected in February. Um, but in the meantime, they did issue an update that they have been working with the Ministry of Education quite closely and other stakeholders in education, um, sharing with them what they're, um, they anticipate that they will be recommending in February. And to that end, I can say that I've heard of a lot of really interesting things that are happening in school boards. 
Um, in Ontario, there are a lot of school boards that have been looking at this. Um, there were eight school boards specifically that the OHRC audited as a part of their public inquiry. Um, so those eight school boards, I know many of them have been working closely with the OHRC and beginning to uh, change their instructional practices. Um, there's been a big focus on teacher training. I know there are a lot of teachers that have been receiving uh, training and evidence-based instruction throughout the last two years. Um, and then there are other school boards that are not part of that eight who have been really closely monitoring and watching what's going on and taking a really proactive approach uh, to looking at their policies and um, the resources that they're using and making some changes right away. So there's a lot of really good things happening. That's that's really cool and exciting. Has, has the um, OHIC made uh, any explicit recommendations in writing so far or... Uh, yes, actually, in November, uh, as a part of their submission to the um, Accessibility Standards Committee for Education, uh, they presented um, a set of recommendations coming out of the OHRC inquiry. Uh, they're quite a bit shorter than what we're expecting to come out in February, uh, but it was really encouraging to see what they had actually put in writing because it does include calling on the province to create a new kindergarten program as well as a new um, grade one to grade eight language curriculum that uses evidence-based instruction, re like removing three queuing and, and moving on with uh, evidence-based instructional methods. Um, it included um, making recommendations to the faculties of education to ensure that teachers are trained on evidence-based literacy instruction and assessment, um, and also making recommendations to school boards that all in-service teachers receive training so that they can uh, transition their skills uh, to evidence-based instruction. Um, so that was all around that first pillar of, of what we're looking for, which is changed general classroom instruction and curriculum. Um, additionally, they made uh, recommendations around mandatory screening, uh, calling on the province to develop a standardized evidence-based universal screening program um, and calling on school boards to screen all students at least twice a year from kindergarten to grade two um, at a minimum. Um, additionally, they made uh, recommendations around reading interventions, uh, asking the Ministry of Education to standardize, um, standardize the assessment, uh, sorry, the interventions that are being used, and also to create um, a standard framework uh, around decisions around interventions so that it's not simply left up to teacher discretion or left up to board policies or left up to squeaky wheel parents like myself who are going to go in there and advocate very strongly, those decisions should be standardized um, in some sort of decision framework um, so that all children who require intervention can be you know, assured to be receiving that intervention. Um, so all of those things were really, really exciting to see in print in that document. And you can, if anybody's interested, that is available on the OHRC's website. You can find that document there. That's, that's really phenomenal. Um, I have one follow-up question about that. So uh, this all sounds amazing. Um, my, my only thoughts is when they say evidence-based literacy instruction, are they defining what that is or are they letting like universities decide for themselves what is evidence-based? That is a really good question. So in the, in the actual written document that, they, um, that they've put out, it doesn't really specifically say. But if you look in the... Um, the letters that they sent to the eight boards of education and the faculties of education, there's a lot more in there where they are defining it. Like they do That's talk cool. about 
um, they do talk about systematic and explicit instruction. Are you using that? They're asking about phonemic awareness and phonological awareness. Are you screening for those? They talk about explicit phonics instruction versus incidental um, phonics instruction. So there is a lot more information in those documents. And I expect that in February, when their full report comes out, there will be a lot of detail in that report. I've heard rumors that it's over 500 pages. So I think there'll be a lot of information in there that we can we can draw on and that it will specify. That's great. That's fantastic. Because, you know, like uh, you hear people saying things like balanced literacy and Fontas and Pinal are, are evidence-based. And then you look at the literature and it's not really. So, but I think sometimes the problem is like people can subjectively make that claim. So I'm really glad to hear that you think there will be some very specific um, outlines with that. Yeah, it's very true. One thing that they did specifically mention in the update that they gave us last spring in the video was they did have a discussion about three queuing instruction um, and that that is not evidence-based instruction and that, you know, that was specifically mentioned in the spring update. So I'm sure that there'll be something about that in the February report as well. That's great. I'm, I'm really excited about that specifically, to be honest. Um, okay, so are there any programs that they are recommending to boards moving forward or not recommending to boards moving forward? Do they make any like specific recommendations? I don't, I don't know about the OHRC making specific program recommendations. Uh, one development in Ontario education uh, came from the ministry. So the Ministry of Education recently announced that they had sent a list of recommended reading programs and assessment uh, tools to all of the school boards in Ontario. Um, that for some reason is not available online, though I was eventually forwarded a copy of the list. Um, it was very disappointing because it's not a transparent list with a clear set of criteria. If you look at um, other jurisdictions like Colorado, for example, has a, an excellent breakdown on uh, exactly what they expect. You know, they, they've created a set of criteria for their reading programs. They have a, a a process in which publishers can submit their programs to be reviewed. And then there's public information available on which programs have met the standard and which ones have not. Mm -hmm. uh, this document was very, um, it was only five pages long. It was not very detailed. Um, though there were a couple of positive things <laughs> in the document, I would say, um, around the assessment tools that were recommended in the document. Um, they were recommending assessment tools like um, specifically Dibbles, Acadence, EZCBM, AIMSWeb, and CORE, uh, where they were not recommending PM benchmarks, DRA, or the Fontes and Pinnell uh, benchmark assessments. Those were notably absent from the list that was recently sent to school boards. Um, the actual reading program list, as I said, it was, it was pretty... Um, thin. There weren't a lot of programs. There were a lot of really good ones I feel like we're missing. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was a very short list. Um, it included SRA corrective reading and um, reading mastery, Empower, and another one called PALS, which I'm not familiar with PALS. I'm, I'm familiar with the SRA and the Empower. Um, but honestly, that was about it <laughs> for, the, for the reading programs. It was very very thin on the ground in terms of guidance for school boards. So that was really disappointing. Um, when I heard that the ministry had taken that step, I think that's a really positive step, but the process itself really needs to be more transparent and there needs to be a mechanism in place for different programs to submit um, and be reviewed in, in a way following a specific set of criteria so that everyone can have access to that information. Um, really school idea. board. 
Yeah, like school board trustees should have access to the list. I mean, they're supposed to be monitoring and, and being that accountability piece for school boards. Um, I uh, reached out to several trustees. None of them saw the list that was provided by the Ministry of Education. I reached out to a number of superintendents. Only one had seen the list. Um, so if the ministry is going to start creating uh, guidance, I think that's great, but we really need to have that guidance um, publicly available so that everybody can see what tools are being used in their classrooms and if they meet the standards or not. I, I really like that idea of making your, like a very specific criteria. So um, I feel like, to be honest, you're, you're more um, equipped to answer the question in some ways um, than the government is on this issue because this is, you know, this is your whole, your whole job is looking at this. What programs do you, uh, as a part of the IDA, recommend that teachers use? Oh, you know, IDA as a, as a whole doesn't necessarily review or uh, review or recommend programs. Like no? IDA International does have a few programs uh, like Wilson and um, it's more teacher training programs actually that IDA reviews. Um, so I would be really hesitant on making specific recommendations on programs simply because I haven't, I haven't looked at them enough to, to recommend. What I typically do when people ask me though, is I send them to look at the Colorado website because the government of Colorado has done a very good job of creating um, a set of standards and then um, evaluating the programs and scoring them based on that set of standards. And it's quite comprehensive. They have lots of, uh, of information available for each of the programs that they have reviewed. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, we, we don't have the capability in, in our IDA Ontario branch to be doing that at all. Uh, that's fair enough. To be honest, when I look at the meta-analysis research on programs, most of them seem to underperform positive teacher training. Like if you look at like just having teachers implement phonics in their classroom, seems to implement most expensive reading programs that are on the market. So, Yeah, they, I can't overstate the importance of teacher training. Um, the programs do offer really helpful resources though. Um, so I think it can be a blend of both, but you really need to have a trained teacher. You can't hand a teacher a program without training, um, that's not going to work. You know, we've heard a lot of stories about that. I, I spoke with somebody in one school board whose board had uh, invested in Wilson, but didn't train any of the teachers on Wilson. And so it was just sitting up on a shelf getting dusty because nobody really knew what to do with it. Um, but at the same time, once teachers are trained, they do need resources. And a lot of those programs do have the, the resources there. It's a little unrealistic to expect that teachers are going to go out and create all of those things from scratch for themselves. Um, so I think it's a, it's a both. We, we need both for sure. Mm. That's, a, that's a really fantastic point. <laughs> um, is there any other action you've seen the government take so far? Uh, no action really from the government, <laughs> I'd say. We're sort of waiting with bated breath to see what's going to happen there. I think that this idea that they did send out a, a list to the school boards is at least a step in the right direction. Um, you know, I hope that that is just like a, a baby step towards creating a more transparent system and more guidance for, for um, more guidance for school boards on what they should be doing. Um, but really, I, I feel right now that they're just kind of waiting, waiting to see what the recommendations are. It's really tough, too, because we're in an election year next year in the spring. Mm -hmm. So um, really trying to, yeah, trying to get the, uh, the public aware of the inquiry and the issues um, is really our job now um, so that we can really uh, pressure the government to, to make some changes. That's a really good point. 
Um, what about the school boards? Is there is there action that you see being taken on the school board level on this? Are, are they responding positively to the OHRC commission? Yeah, a lot of them are, like not universally by any stretch, but there are a lot of school boards that are proactively, as I said, going out of their way to um, evaluate the evidence themselves and uh, just get themselves ready to take action. One that really stands out uh, is the Algonquin Lakeshore Catholic District School Board in Eastern Ontario. Um, so they, two years ago, when the inquiry was or originally announced and the OHRC put out their benchmarks, which the OHRC said, here are the benchmarks that school boards should be following to ensure that they are providing you know, a, a systematic, um, equitable approach to literacy instruction for all of their students. And so Algonquin Lakeshore Catholic looked at those benchmarks. They did the research themselves over the course of that first year. And they created a five-year implementation plan for turning around reading instruction in their board so that it does align with evidence. Wow. Um, they, yes, I know. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's quite incredible. They have the support of their director of education um, and everyone at the board level. And the teachers are, are hugely interested. We recently did a workshop series and, and invited them to be panel, uh, the director of education and, and some of the people from the school board and a principal to be uh, panel guests. And um, so many of their teachers showed up as well to watch the panel discussion and they were involved in the chat. There's just huge buzz and enthusiasm in that board and, um, and they're doing a really good job. And there's, there's certainly not the only board. There are other boards um, that are really investing in teacher training. Ottawa Carleton has invested very heavily in teacher training. They've um, had quite a few teachers take, uh, complete the Reading Teachers Top 10 Tools, uh, which is an online structured literacy training course. Um, and there are, there are other boards across the province that I, I have heard really good stories about as well. Uh, but it's not universal <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. There are certainly uh, quite a number of school boards that are sort of sitting and waiting until February, until the recommendations come out, um, and then we'll only uh, make changes after, after that. I, I almost wonder if every school board is aware of what's going on right now, if they're even aware of it, this is happening or if this is even a, an area of intense debate. I really don't think they are like I'm speaking with teachers all the time that have not heard of this even now two years in um, and it's it's very unfortunate the timing of this inquiry because it was announced just before COVID you know it was the fall of 2019 and they were just starting to build momentum and get media attention going and then COVID happened and everything sort of stopped and I feel like educators have just been in survival mode and so there just really hasn't been, for a lot of people, there hasn't been um, the, the space to really dig into it. Mm -hmm. um, but on the flip side, like the boards that have heard about it, um, there's, there's a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. Um, the workshop series that I mentioned that we had the Algonquin and Lakeshore Catholic teachers speak at, We've had over 900 teachers from Ontario register for that series and complete wow. our um, complete a survey on registration telling us about the changes that they're seeing in their own school boards. So we had um, 55 different school boards and First Nations uh, educational authorities um, represented in that survey. And we found that 85% of them or 87% um, could point to some positive changes that have happened or are happening in their school boards um, getting ready for the, the findings of the right to read inquiry. 
so that was really exciting. You know, some of them are small changes, but, but you know, certainly with those people, they, um, they are seeing some change. So that's good. Wow. That's really, that's really hopeful and inspiring to be honest. I think the, the reality is that I'm sure you're aware that there's a lot of entrenched resistance against the science of reading, but at the same time, I feel like the momentum is definitely on your side and the enthusiasm is definitely on your side. Um, I was going to ask you, do you think the actions being taken so far are enough? But I, I think the answer is kind of, kind of obvious. So instead, I'd like to just ask you, what do you want to see as the next steps um, for school boards and the government? Ah, the next steps. Well, <laughs> well, I would like when the findings of the inquiry come out in February that the government embraces them as an opportunity to improve equity and lives for people in Ontario um, and, and goes, goes at it full hog and that they, um, you know, really put some emphasis behind teacher training, that they announce uh, a new curriculum and they begin to develop a new curriculum. Um, that's what I would like to see, of course. And uh, I really feel that the teacher training piece needs to come first. Like we can't like just drop a curriculum out of the sky at, on teachers. I really don't think that will work. And I really don't think that that's fair. Um, but I'd like immediately to see a lot of money poured into professional development for teachers um, so that they can begin to do that learning so that as that curriculum is developed and rolled out, that they're going to understand um, why it's necessary and, and why all of the pieces that are there are in place. I think that's the, the only way it's going to be successful. Yeah. Well, you know, um, this is, I, I think, episode 121 or something. I've lost track, to be honest. Um, and we've been talking about a lot of instructional things, but mainly the science of reading for probably at least 90 out of 120 episodes here. Um, so if anybody has been start to finish by this point in the podcast, I'm kind of hoping they're on side um, and they're informed on this issue. So hopefully they hear this podcast and they, they think, great. How can I volunteer? How can I, how can I support the IDA in, the, in their fight on this issue? So how can people volunteer to, to support your charity? Oh, there's lots of different things that people could do. You can certainly uh, visit our website, idaontario.com. Um, and one thing that we really need everyone to help with is to just spread the word in the upcoming months. So I feel like we're kind of at a tipping point moment um, or we're coming up to it in February when the OHRC findings come out. And we've been working very hard to reach out to other groups, other organizations, and other individuals that are just interested in transitioning to evidence-based instruction in Canada. Um, and we need to get all of those people basically on the same page using their social media channels, uh, reaching out through letters to um, members of provincial parliament, um, and trying to really ratchet up the pressure on the government to enact the findings of the OHRC inquiry. So if someone wants to be involved, that is really, um, I think the advocacy piece is what we really need at this point. Um, and you can certainly reach out directly to me or you can follow us on Twitter and, and retweet and, and um, help to amplify the messages that you'll be seeing there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, that's it for now, folks. And until next time, um, think critically. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me.